Welcome to the Minnesotan Hockey Podcast. The goal of our pods are to give our followers a taste of how great the game of hockey is here in Minnesota. Speaking of great, check out the Minnesotan, a cool and authentic apparel concept, which is a one-of-a-kind, 100% unique to the marketplace. You can visit their flagship store seven days a week in historic downtown White Bear Lake or on the web at theminnesotan.com. Today's show, we sit down with Trent Eigner, the coach at St. Thomas Academy, we're going to learn a lot about his playing career, growing out with two brothers that also played Division One hockey, uh, onto his playing career, and obviously his well-storied coaching career. Should be a great show. Hope you enjoy it. Think of how much you your love is a burning thing, and it makes a fiery ring. Bound by wild desire, I fell into a ring of fire. Well, we get uh, Mr. 31 and 0 into the office for a little podcast. How are you doing today, Trent? Fantastic. You snuck that into the first sentence. I had to get it in right away, right? Get it in right away. It's always fun to talk because, you know, you know, I've become friends over the years. Uh, we have very similar, we think alike, and uh, we're in the same line of business. And uh, it's always fun to get to talk to you uh, at the rink for five minutes sometimes. Uh, or in this case, we're going to talk for maybe 55 minutes. But uh, I'm sure our audience will really get to know the guy I've gotten to like over the last five, ten years. Well, I appreciate it. The feeling is mutual. I can remember meeting the the villainous man who dared to rank young hockey players. How dare you do that? Um, no, but I truly do. I appreciate your passion for the game. I mean, you, you've built a, a strong following in a state where hockey's just uh, it's a really big deal. So uh, always good to chat. It's going to be fun. So so before we get into Trent Eigner, hockey player, hockey coach, I always like to kind of dig into to who you are and, and uh, where you, how you grew up. And, and it, it's, it's, it's a neat kind of story. I think people who don't know you will, will I think, admire you even more uh, after learning of how you grew up and, 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 and the, the socioeconomics that you grew up in. It wasn't an easy place, especially in the hockey world where you see kids with brand-new skates and brand-new equipment. And, and uh, at four years old, your dad – and mom split up, and you were in Wisconsin somewhere, like Oshkosh, maybe the Fox River Valley, and then had to move to Minnesota. How did you guys, after the divorce, how did you and your mom and brothers end up in, in Minnesota? First off, did you ever own a pair of Oshkosh bagash overalls? I think I did. I mean, every I think kid I did. Had the to. blue and whites? The blue and whites. Yeah, I had yes. those for sure. Yeah, that was the birthplace of yours truly. Um, not, I don't know whether that was good or bad, but, uh, yeah, suffice it to say um, – it was a marriage that didn't last. So, uh, you know, I don't have a ton of memories of that, you know, uh, other than I think if you can remember those, those God awful, ugly appliances that came in like green and yellow, I can, oh, yeah. I can remember standing by the door to a, a, a puke yellow stove as, uh, <laughs> you know, my parents had this, obviously horrific conversation and then uh that's uh I can you know it's seared into my brain and uh you know it was funny because when my dad walked out the door he walked out as if it was going to be a normal like we'll see you later type of deal but there just was no see you later type of deal so um but you know prior to that just you know spotty memory of of uh my youth and and then uh 
that divorce transpired into a, a, a move to Minnesota. So you move, you move into your uncle's basement for two years. Your mom finally gets on her feet and you move into an apartment and you guys probably didn't live the high life, did you? No, no. My, uh, my uncle worked for the airlines up here. I think it was Northwestern maybe at the time, the airlines. And, uh, we moved into, to the basement of his house in Egan and, and saddled up there, uh, for a while. And, you know, when you're young, you just, you bomb around with kids in the neighborhood and do what you do. You don't, you don't uh, necessarily at that age realize that, you know, you're poor. Um, you figure it out pretty quick. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we were there for a bit. And, and like I said, at the beginning, it's great. You're around your cousins. There's more kids. It seems fun. Um, and then we, we moved to the Taj Mahal, the two-bedroom apartment right above Cedarvale Lanes in, in beautiful Egan. So, um, yeah, it was uh, it was uh, – Interesting, to say the least. So did you ever have much contact with your dad? Uh, Phone calls, summers, winter vacation? Did you see much of him uh, during your youth? You know what? It seemed like there was was a complete hiatus there right after my parents were divorced, you know, that I can remember. Um, And then it, it, it kind of evolved into a, you know, uh, either one one week a year, either kind of uh, thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the 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 terrible drive to Black River Falls, Wisconsin, to, where they'd make the halfway, the handoff, halfway, the halfway yeah. point, um, and that was usually in the summer, um, or you know, I, I think on occasion it was a, a Christmas type deal. So, um, just you know, awkward that whole deal. You know, yeah, it's I like, believe uh, it. Neither parent gets out of the car, you know, they just transfer the three kids wow. in the bags and, and, uh, straight out of a drama movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Or those after school specials yes. that you used to watch, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, uh, it, it, it was, it was, it was not ideal. All right. So here's the first question. You talk about your brothers. You're the middle of the three brothers. And talk about high achievers. I mean, like, this isn't, you guys kind of broke the mold. I mean, this was, uh, you, your brother Ty, obviously, coach, is the head coach at uh, Bowling Green. Your other brother, um, Troy, ends up at West Point, And you end up at Miami, Ohio. All Division One hockey players. Where did the juice come from? Was your dad a great athlete? Mom, is there a lot of great athletes in your family? Because that's a pretty hard t- uh, level to make for three straight brothers. Yeah, it's my understanding um, that my you know my dad played a little bit of college basketball. Um, I think he was kind of based on grades in and out of school. But uh, my mom was a college athlete as well. So um, you know, in terms of catching a break, maybe DNA wise, we had a little of that in us. Um, but uh, I would say, in terms of the, you know, the key to the start to hockey, uh, Chuck Grillo, a guy I know as Gringo, um, you know, he was a teacher and a and a hockey coach at Rosemont High School, uh, where my mom landed her first full time teaching job, and you know she saw this single mom with these three kids just bombing around everywhere, uh, and he. He basically outfitted us with some used hockey equipment and said, you know, get those kids playing hockey. You know, is there any wonder? I mean, when we get to your coaches' influence lists, I thought you had a pretty nice list, but you just drop a little gringo on me as well. I mean, this is one of 
uh, the forefathers of Minnesota hockey. Uh, when I was playing hockey in the mid '80s, he was a, a, a scout for the Rangers. When, when even he would come to scrimmages, like Southwest, we'd be playing Burnsville, two really good teams, Chorsky and Scott Bloom, and all those guys were playing. So he would go watch them, and I just remember that day, like, oh yeah, Gringo's here. I'm like, yeah. what's Gringo? You know, like, he was just a legend. Um, so this is in the 70s when he was there, right? Or Yeah. Because he had gone left Rosemont by then. But what was it? That, what was the one your one takeaway from Gringo and, and, and teaching the game? Well, I hate to have to narrow it to one yeah. takeaway. But, um, you know, it's funny. It's kind of how I gauge people. I can gauge their age by whether or not they know Gringo. And um, well, I'm old then. I'm <laughs> I can, old. And, and, you know, and it's kind of a – you know, internally for me, it's, it's, if, if you know Gringo, then you've earned some street cred with me because uh, it's just, you know, he, for me personally, obviously to get a start in hockey and it wasn't just equipment. It was, it was, it was mentorship. And then um, he, you know, he afforded us an opportunity when he started a hockey camp up in Brainerd to, to become dishwashers. And, uh, my mom was actually a cook up there. Stop um, it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we'd go up there and, and work and then get to skate and, and, and be a part of the hockey camp experience, um, which was, which was amazing. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I you know, and your brother Ty's got a huge connection with Brainerd. Yeah, he's always had. He's had kids from Brain. It's kind of like Lakeville North and Brainerd. Half the roster of Bowling Green is made up for those kids. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And Ty navigated his way back up there when he got, you know, done playing hockey and 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 was a high school coach up there, and obviously made some great relationships. Uh, he'd spend his summers still going back to the camp and working and teaching and coaching with, with Gringo and Dino, and and so you know he got a little bit of a pipeline there and and had some really quality kids. Uh, that, uh, you know, made their way to Bowling Green. And then obviously with me, you know, taking the job at Lakeville North, there was a natural. How many weeks did it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how many weeks did you get to go up there? Just one or two? No, no, no. We'd go the whole summer. I mean, no we were basically way. employees like of the camp. Then. We were employees of the camp. Um, I don't know how effective we were as employees. Um, you know, we were washing trays, uh, raking the beach, you know, cleaning up the tennis courts. Um, working in the pro shop a little bit, uh, you know, and, and again, my mom was the cook. So we, we actually had a, a, a little spot right above the, the, where so we you didn't ate. have to stay in one of those dorms then, did no, you? No, we were, we were just, High life. we were just, yeah, we were right above the, the kind of the mess hall there and, and, uh, had a place to shack up for the summer and play a bunch of hockey. I, uh, my takeaway, my son got to go up there for a couple of years and my takeaway from the camp was just how gorgeous it is there. You know, the, that all the hockey's awesome on top of that, but just how pretty of, for, for kids from outside of the, of the Twin Cities or kids from the Twin Cities or even from all around the world and come up there and just spend, it's like hockey heaven. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's just a beautiful spot. And again, you know. It's it's kind of hard to explain. You know, you talk about intangibles with players, and talk about intangibles with people in the professional world, and what they bring to the table. And you know, there's there's just a you can kind of measure yourself by a bar in terms of you know kids who tell you, "I love the game. I want to do this. I want to do that." Like Gringo is a guy that I mean, you can't love wouldn't love of the game. It doesn't even register. It's beyond that. You know, I mean, the game is just in his DNA, and then. Um, you know, when he got into evaluating kids and, and coaching and helping them, it just, 
you know, it blossomed from there, and he's just touched so many people in the in in, in the hockey world. Sunday nights, he would give the speech to the kids, the campers, and I was up there probably three or four different times. And hearing the speech, it's not even the same speech. He delivers a different speech every different Sunday night. He must have like fourteen or fifteen different speeches, but they're they're pretty memorable. And some of the stuff that I learned from him over the years is something I'll always remember. Yeah, it's definitely been an influential part of the way I coach. Um, you know, he, it wasn't about drills and wasn't about skills, you know, it was about what was going to separate you from, from another player. And that, uh, that rarely has to do with, you know, what kind of forecheck or how hard you can shoot the puck. So we'll we'll get to your forecheck here in a little bit. (laughs) Um, So let's go through your playing career. You grew up in the Rosemont system. Um, you guys weren't very good. No, we were terrible. Uh, I, like I, I told you before, we were 10 run by Tom Osiki and Burnsville machine, and Shatterdall and right? Jefferson and the Kennedy crew was good at that time. So I was on the wrong side of, you know, two touchdown losses, a bunch. Um, I don't know if there's upside to that, but uh, when you don't have a strong program, you obviously... It was pretty new at yeah, the time. Yeah, it was new, but, you know, I got a ton of ice time and I was competitive and you know, you just you make the best of the situation. Did your brother pave the way for you a little bit into the the juniors and the college route? Did that help having a someone in front of you like that? It helps because you get his hand me downs. I mean, that's <laughs> how you rolled. You know, I, I still to this day like he's the only Eigner that ever got a a new pair of skates. You know, because yeah. they, they went from me to Troy and you know tie to me. So um, yeah, it helped. He was a good athlete, and and when you're in a home with three boys, you know the the testosterone and the competitiveness is always there no matter what you're doing so um in 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 terms of that yeah it it helped I can only imagine what it was like when you guys were 12 14 16 years old I mean it the battles there must have been magnanimous just huge right that's where you have the drywall guy on retainer (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was I'm the fifth and there was three boys in front of me so I watched your movie many many times it was there were some brawls it played out that way it didn't and it just did it didn't matter what whether it was a board game or who's got my Rubik's Cube it it was just constant we didn't have we we were I'm a little older my brothers were older but we didn't have I can only imagine the battles for the remote control even right yeah well I don't know you know like I can vaguely remember you know the brown cable TV box with the white peg you moved yeah, back yeah, yeah. and forth that 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 was my kind of that that era um and and when we got that thing you know that thing was like the bomb and the only thing you could watch was the cubs you know with harry carey on <laughs> it's WGN. the only thing was on tv yeah, right yeah. yeah now we're Holy really getting cow. old yeah all right so after college uh you move on to play in the ushl college hockey was probably was your goal at the time uh, walk through your opportunities as a senior high school. You probably had no opportunities in 1988, right? Did you have a chance to go, maybe go play D3? Or where, 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 was you, where were you in your development stage? Well, I will say this. I mean, obviously I wasn't predisposed to, you know, a ton of other than the, the, the hockey camp experience, you know, extra stuff, you know, that, that we could afford to do in terms of specific to hockey. Um, so I chose to be a three sport athlete. And I think that started at a young age as a single mom. I think that my, my mom recognized, you know, sports was a positive consumption of time. So it was baseball, football, hockey for all three of us too. So yeah, played sports. And then, you know, she coached uh, track and cross country at Rosemount. So, um, 
I just was immersed in sports. Uh, you know, what other sports did you play? Football, and football, football, and baseball. Played football, football and baseball. A big yeah. sport at Rosemount, right? Yeah, yeah. I played for Bob Sadik and then ended up coaching his grandson Jack Sadik at Lakeville and know Brett really well. So there's you know all those relationships that that end up existing. But uh, you know I I loved all three sports. Um, it it just at that time it was you know you, you just you played hockey then you set your skates down and you grabbed your glove and you played baseball and then. You know, yeah. it, it, just it, rinse and repeat, right? Yep, and and then you know, I mean, football in the in the fall. So I always remember, like you know, we would uh, we would go to open skating because hockey was coming up in the fall. But yeah, we would go out and then we would play football while mom and dad were about to come and pick us up. I mean, there was just never downtime for for sport. I mean, it was uh, if there was one sport and there was like another sport. It was just as many as we could possibly get. I mean, it was, if I could find a game, I'd play soccer. I mean, I really didn't like soccer, but it was a game. Yeah. Right? Did you have that feeling too? Like oh, yeah. basketball, let's go play, right? Yeah, we we called this game hot box, but it was basically a rundown, like a yeah. baseball rundown. Yeah. Pickle. Yeah, pickle in hours. I mean, hours. You know, you just set out two bases and you just played that game uh, at nauseum. But, we, you know, we did that a lot. So um, I had opportunities. Um, you know, I actually looked at, uh, you know, potentially playing football. Um, I got a chance to play in the old Shriners All Star game. Yeah. As a free safety and a and a and a wide receiver for Stan Shea, which is Brady Shea's grandpa, Crazy. just a legendary yeah, you yeah. Know, Bloomington football coach. Um, and so, in hindsight, probably knowing what an average hockey player I was, uh, you know, I, I one of the schools that that had interest in me in football was Columbia, you know, which would be an Ivy League education. But at the time, they were in the middle of a thirty-eight game losing yes, streak. I believe. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I I don't know that that uh, I could stomach, you know, you know, four years of losing football games. So, um, you know, at some point, probably my junior or senior year, um, I decided that, you know, uh, hockey, which I kind of knew all along was going to be what I was going to pursue. So it was just navigating a way through it. And, and I think that, you know, one thing that probably most people wouldn't consider this a benefit that worked in my favor is, you know, the realities of college was if I didn't get a scholarship that, that probably that right. the, the, the just there wasn't the means to do that. Right. So um, suffice it to say, my brothers and I had great motivation to to get ourselves yeah. to be you know big contributors on a hockey team if we wanted to keep moving. So you ended up in Madison in, in the USHL. What was the USHL like? It was a lot different than it is today. I mean, not a lot of social media. Games weren't live streamed. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't as big time as it was today. This is where guys went who were hungry like yourselves to get into college. Yeah, for sure. It was it was your second chance for sure. I mean, it was you know I was used to the Scott Blooms of the world right. in that era. They, I mean, they had scholarships in high school, and that's just. You know, if you didn't have one when it ended, you know, that was kind of... It was over for uh, yep. 80% of the people. Yeah. You yeah. were in the 20% club. We were going to go out there and fight it out. Yeah, it was it was over. So, you know, the league was, was like I said, if, for people who know the USHL today, it was not even a, a sniff of that. You know, it was a, it was a rugged endeavor. Um, we, we played at old Hartmeyer Arena in, in Madison, you know, in front of a couple hundred fans with the police tape around the beer garden. And, uh, but it was an opportunity. It was an opportunity to keep playing and, 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 and potentially, you know, earn an opportunity to play college hockey. So I was fortunate, you know, to play for Scotty Owens. And, um, you know, he was 
as enthusiastically young in his coaching career, so he wanted to do and, and was motivated to do a good job, um, not only winning hockey games but developing kids because, like I said, he was young and hungry as a coach. So that that was a beneficial part of uh, of landing with Scotty and, and having an experience in the USHL. So did you have any idea you're playing hockey there, you're young, dumb, 18-, 19-year-old kid? Do you have any idea that when you were in your 40s that you'd have hockey players at your school – that you'd be coaching, that they'd be going interested in going and having that connection there, you know, you don't have no idea, do you, when you're when you're that young that this is a potential great connection down the road, thirty years from now in the game of hockey. No, and, and same and, with Gringo, and same with the rest of these guys. Yeah, yeah, and it suffice it to say, all this, I was clueless. I was clueless. I mean, I just. I knew there wasn't an opportunity to just to, you know, hey, I'm going to go to St. Thomas or I'm going to go get an education. That that just didn't exist in, in our household. So it required you to be determined and competitive, and um, the avenue was there, so I took it. So in in Madison, you spent two years there. At what point in the Madison tour did you know that uh, schools were interested and you were going to maybe get, get a scholarship of some sort? You know, I mean, I, I there was a little interest in year one. Um and then, you know, in year two, I think, you know, the schools that, that I had talked to, Providence and Denver, Denver at the time wasn't what they are today. And Miami of Ohio was definitely a program that, that was not, you know, highly regarded. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, I mean, if your goal is to play Division One hockey, you're not about to get picky. Yeah, to brush anybody off. So, so those um, are three really good educational institutions. Did you know that at the time? Like these are Denver's a good school, Miami of Ohio's a good school, Providence is a good school. Did you know how good of schools these were or were you just like hockey hockey hockey? Yeah, unfortunately I was hockey hockey hockey. I wish I had a better appreciation for for what those institutions, you know, offered on the academic side. Um you know, but that's, you know, partly a product of, you, you know, being a latchkey kid. I mean, obviously, I was raised with a ton of love from my mother, um, you know, but the other kind of household figure was my grandfather who worked on the railroad, you know, right. when he started when he was 16 and retired when he was 57, and he knew nothing else. So he wasn't, A, a big believer in sports. He kind of thought, you know, they were a bit of a waste of time. Um, you know, that you should get a job when you turn 15 and, and then get, that's, yeah, your, that's work, your right? lot in life. And yeah. so, um, you know, my mom had to juggle teaching and then, you know, uh, she'd, she'd get up, make breakfast, leave. We'd dress ourselves and get ready to go to school. She'd uh, coach afterwards and then she'd go waitress. Um, so that, you know, we were the classic latchkey kid, you know, you come home from school um, you're either headed to the outdoor rink or you're headed to the park to play or, or do whatever, um, so, you know, so there's some of the, the, the critical mentorship from a, from a dad that would have been helpful to navigate, you know, life in general. So, um, you know, we became immersed in sports and I think that that's, you know, the people surrounding us saw that as a positive. So I, I really didn't engage heavily in my education. Um, yeah. just did enough to, to keep my hopes of playing college hockey alive. Okay. All right. So it was a little bit about hockey. Um, all right. So you end up at Miami, Ohio. 
uh, and your coach is George Gwazdecki. I mean, this list here, it's pretty phenomenal, and it's it's kind of a neat little coaching tree that you're a part of, but eventually you're going to have your own little coaching tree of guys that coach with you too. So do you take that into account, that you know the, the impact you're going to have on young men that will eventually go, co- go on and coach and, and influence people? Yeah, I mean, at this point in my life, obviously the focus at the level I coach at, um, in my experience, has, has changed from – from that uh, of a coach to that of a mentor. Um, and he, I certainly was fortunate, you know, whether that's Scotty Owens or George Gwazdecki, Bob Motzko was on our staff at Miami. Um, you know, when I was running around the hockey camp, it was the Saratori brothers that were yeah. kind of, you know, kicking us in the rear end and helping us navigate things. So, you know, you don't know at the time that these guys are all going to be big parts of your existence and your makeup of who you are. Um, but, you know, I'm fortunate now on the precipice of a month away from 50 years old that, you know, I, I, I at least, and I think this is a byproduct of kind of being a, you know, I was like a fifth, sixth defenseman. You know, I was really cognizant of where I stood and what I needed to do to contribute. So I, I did pay attention. I paid attention to coaches. Um, you know, I worked hard. And so I was, like I said, very aware of, of what was going on and where my existence was. We didn't uh, elaborate a little bit on Scotty Owens, but let's go and dig a little deeper on, on Guaz. What was it? What were some of the things you took away from him as a coach or you liked as a coach or, or something, a, kind of a takeaway on George Guazdecki? Well, you know, my, my, you know, kind of the initial vibe from Guaz was that he's a bit scary, you know, um, you know, and after you leave Miami and you look at the task he had in trying to build a program that was, you know, largely unsuccessful, you can understand why he brought a level of discipline and expectation that was required to, to change a culture. Um, but he was, you know, he was tough to say the least. Um, but uh, he's one of those guys that was extremely fair. You learn to love him after you play for him. Uh, and I mean that in a completely complimentary way. Um, because he had a job to do, obviously he he succeeded in doing that and, and produced the first CCHA championship team and NCAA appearance team. So, uh, you know, I think that um, my 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 takeaway and the thing that I that I ended up loving about George was that you know his his commitment to his plan. You know, he was he was you know unwilling to budge, but. Uh, you know, he was confident in, in the path he was taking. So he, he wasn't he wasn't this way one day and another way the next. He was consistent, and I think that's, that's, a, that's a very fair situation for a player because you know what you're going to get with him. When you arrived at Miami, Ohio, it was probably like, thank God I've made it to Division One, right? Yeah. And that's your fresh first day of freshman year. Imagine that day to the the day you guys made it to the NCAA tournament as a junior winning the CCHA. Did you have any idea that that was going to happen, that that was just a fantasy or that would be folly? Or did you go, I think I'm in a good spot and I think there's a good vibe here and I think we can do this? You know, I'll tell you, like, honestly, your, your, your appraisal of getting there and being like finally made it Division One hockey is completely true. Like that for me was the destination and I got there, um, you know, winning six games as a freshman wasn't all that warm and fuzzy, but, you know, the reality was I was there. And so, you know, as you navigate your way through that process, um, you know, obviously those teammates that I had are, you know, the Brian Savages of the world and, and Bobby Marshalls are near and dear to me because, you know, we, 
from from freshman to, to junior year, we we were part of an evolution that was historic for that hockey program. You know, winning six games your freshman year and making an NCAA appearance your junior year. So, um, you know, just the way I grew up, the one the one thing that kind of adversity provided for me a little bit was. Um, I mean, you couldn't blame anyone else. Like you just, you didn't have an out. Like you had to figure out a way to be successful. And so regardless, and I I tell kids, you know, to this day, you know, there's very few situations in life where I don't think I'm going to win, you know, and I don't always know how, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think I'm going to be either part of a winning team or a coach of a winning team um, because, it's just kind of all I knew, you know, to, 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 to get through to the next step. So it's almost like he didn't want to be a loser so bad. <laughs> winning was the only option, right? I will tell you, this is a good, good, this is always a good story. And I love telling it, is that my favorite athlete growing up was John McEnroe. And, and <laughs> one of mine too. Um, I, I, I literally watched as many matches of his as I could. And, you know, my mom kind of raising three boys, you know, thought that that was, I don't know if disgusting is the right word, but bad role model. Yeah, right? terrible role model, right? But you know, the one thing that I've come to understand is yes, his behavior was reprehensible. I mean, he was, you know, he was just you know complete gong show and and all the antics that came with it, and disrespectful and classless. But he will and always will be one of my favorite athletes because it was it dawned on me that you know he had an utter disdain for losing and to the extent that he was willing to embarrass himself in front of millions of people on live TV um, to to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. And, and so that's what I took away from him. And, and so his antics became kind of ancillary to what I was enamored with. And, and what I was enamored with is, like I said, that, that, that hatred for losing, that someone could hate losing that bad, that they would behave like that. Did you ever watch the match and they'd pan the camera onto his dad? I mean, I always thought, well, what is this going through the dad's mind at this point when his kid's whipping the racket and screaming at the official? And I always just wondered, did that ever hit you? Like, what's that dad thinking right now? Yeah, and, I, you know, I, I always enjoyed when they'd show the umpire or they'd show anybody because his behavior was so reprehensible that – it, it, you know, it was one of those things where when you see something happen that you see regularly, the reaction that you see to that is is something you're familiar with. But right. his behavior was so over the top that, you know, most of the time when they panned the crowd, they were stunned at what they were seeing yeah. because he was just so bad. But, you know, I mean, he's a guy that, I mean, I would love to have a beer with. I mean, I just, I, I just, I loved that competitiveness. Um you could tell, like, in his DNA, you know, before there was the Tiger Woods fist pump, when this guy would win a big point, I mean, he it just, he didn't care what anyone thought about anything. Like, he no. had just won a big point. And it was just, I, I like I said, I was just completely yeah, he, drawn to it. There was something to him, that's for sure. Uh, okay, so after college... Uh, you went on and played professionally uh, in the ECHL and uh, the Western Professional Hockey League and the Central League. Um, you made stops in uh, Raleigh for a short spurt, but Huntington, uh, West Virginia. You're a kid from Minnesota, and then you went to to and Madison, and and this is like Lily White Midwest. 
hockey rinks, and now you're a professional hockey player and you're in West Virginia. What was your first thoughts when you got there? Well, not only like age-wise and, and life-wise and, and your hockey career-wise, you know, this is a point for me where, where you know, you really start to think about, you know, what you're doing and where you're at in life. And I did, yeah. I did as much as I could to ignore all my gut instincts because I was fortunate that I had the, the, the chance that year to go to an NHL training camp with San Jose. And suffice it to say, I didn't get through the VO2 test before I kind of knew what I was up against. And this is kind of when, you know, the Russian players had just started to migrate over. Right. And, and uh, I believe I did the VO2 test after Alexei Butsayev was his name. And he had, you know, his quads were the size of, you know, like tree trunks. Oh, beyond tree trunks. And, you know, he got on the bike and, you know, the layman's ex- explanation of the VO2 test is just basically how long you can maintain a certain level. And, you know, you, you'd have thought he was riding through the park. I mean, he's just pedaling and pedaling and pedaling and pedaling and pedaling. And, uh, you know, at that, like, I hadn't even gotten on the bike, and that's kind of where I knew that my aspirations of playing in the NHL were over. And so, um, yeah, so when you get to Huntington, you know, you're constantly asking yourself, like, wh- wh- why, you know? And, you know, my why was because I love to play. When I got older, the reality was is is outside of sports and, and hockey specifically, I kept playing because I, I wasn't sure what else I had to bring to the table. Um, you know, I, I, I did fine in school, but it wasn't my focus. Um, you know, I had hung my hat on being good at sports for a long time, and that's what kind of gives you your validation in life. And, and all of a sudden, you're you know, you're playing in beer infested arenas where all they want to see is a fight and you realize that you know you're you're basically low level entertainment for for a bunch of people in uh non hockey cities you know so it's an interesting it's an interesting yeah. dynamic but in terms of the locker room and and your teammates you know and your competitiveness that's all still there but uh, in the back of your mind you're thinking where's this headed and it, I mean, it, talk about the ultimate dumb jock, right? I mean, because you said it, you know, your education wasn't a priority and you're just playing sports for someone else's entertainment. Six or seven years of this is probably enough. You're 30 years old and at this point had you met your wife and, and formed a family? You had to have come at some point, yeah, right? Yeah, yep, that was in the in the last. And, and you once know. you make a family, once yeah. you started a family, and I'm guessing based on where you are and your faith and your family now with six kids, at some point you're like, there's more to this, there's more to life than, than hockey, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's certainly, and it's not that there's more to life than hockey, it's just that the path you've chosen in hockey um, – is 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 clearly coming to an end or come to an end you know and and we had some some great teams and I met some great people and and I don't look back at it with with regret no. in any way but but uh as you as you mature you you begin to realize that um you know it, it it's just you're not you're not let's say the most dynamic human being in your pursuit um right and and then when you add you know a wife and a kid to that mix now it becomes borderline selfish, and and uh, you, you know you you have to you have to be able to take that look and start to evolve. All right. So after your pro career, um, you coached 
right? So how many years did you coach uh, in the uh, in the Central League? I coached for two years uh, down there. And head coach, assistant coach? I was a head coach for All two right. years. And, and that, you know, if nothing else, that experience um, kind of cemented the idea that, that I, I felt comfortable in that position and I loved that role. Uh, I wanted to get better at it. Um, you know, but uh, suffice it to say, all of us that love hockey, we at the end of the day, we all want to find a, a way to stay in the game. Yeah. You know? And for lack of a better term, we want to try and figure out a way to make a living and, and stay and in the game. Stay it's in the, the game. magic, right? Yeah. That's a lot so, of, there's a lot of people out there who want to do it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's not an easy task. I mean, the... Yeah, have any advice? Because I could give advice all day long. Like, it's not as easy as it looks, right? It's not as easy as it looks. And I think what it does is... But, you know, it's like... I tell people when you when you when you go through the self assessment in life, it should feel like walking through one of those old nineteen eighties car washes with the fiberglass whips. You're right. While you're wearing a speedo, and then <laughs> on the way out, it, you get rinsed with rubbing alcohol. That's what that's what my view, my personal view of a self assessment, at least an effective one, should feel like. So, um, when when kids tell me to this day how much they love the game, you know, and I I ask them to show me the screen time on their phone or Snapchat. I said, you know, I mean, you can't, the truth, the one thing about it is it, it hurts, but it sets you free. And, it, you know, no matter what story you tell me, son, the truth is the truth. And and you'll find out how much this game means to you. Um, look at guys like you and I. I mean, yeah. uh, I'm on, I'm turning 50 years old and I still consider this game my living and what I do. And, um, that tells me how much I love it, but uh, a lot of people say they do, but it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing to navigate. Yeah, once once you get distracted, uh, one of the I was talking to somebody, it was actually Cal Dietz. He said I could tell you story after story after story of guys that come in here to the University of Minnesota, and they train, they come through, they do their thing, but but what they he goes the biggest downfall for these guys is is are the video games. They it, it clouds their studies. And they, they stay up all all night long playing video games. And you're talking about screen time. And then they come to train, and they can't give me 100% when they train. And then they can't give and then they can't get out of the video game rut. And then they can't get out of the ECHL once they go. And, and you wonder why is is because they get addicted to this stuff, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, that's just, like I said, that's the evolution for us all. I mean, I, you know, most coaches and scouts carry backpacks or bags, you know. And the, I think – the average person thinks, you know, you have a bunch of drill books in there, right? And I have two books, a Victor Frankel book and James Allen book, and those things have nothing to do with hockey. Um, so, you know, I, I began to learn, you know, through my own sufferings, let's say, um, <laughs> more about myself than I did in any success. Um, and so uh, I just, you know, I kind of choose – to approach my job as a coach and a mentor in a, in, in a different way. Um, and so, you know, when you, when you do have kids that, you know, the standard line is I want to play high, I want to play, I want to play hockey after high school, which to me means, you know, I want to play junior and then I want to play college hockey. Um, and, you know, when I ask them what their goal is to do that, they, they, they really have no idea. And so, navigating that process without a goal and accountability is a really difficult thing. So I try to and make you only get them for th- three, four months. Then the other eight months, they're kind of on their own, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's... But you know, I mean, you, you come to understand like 
once if it means to you what it means to me once once you coach a kid you're always his coach yeah and and if you've had some you know some 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 authentic you know relationship building with that player um then by the nature of being authentic, the the conversations and the, and the tutelage and the things you talk about should be far more than hockey. And if they are, then now you have kind of the foundation for, you know, a meaningful relationship. So, you know, then when they're 30 years old, in essence, you, you're still their coach. Still their you're, coach. Still, you're still a part of their life. I have that now. Or kids that I've coached, they still call me coach. I'm like, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, you know. I mean, more to life than that. All right, so in 2010, uh, you become the coach at, uh, at Lakeville North High School. Um, walk through that the hiring process. Walk through the, 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 the interview process. Walk through getting that job and, and, and what your vision was at Lakeville North. You know, the interest obviously was always there um, to get back into coaching. Um, I had you know, for lack of a better term, run my life into, you know, a couple of sound barriers here and there. Um, so, you, you know, you're, you're just, when you're, when, when your confidence is a little bit rattled, you're just unsure of yourself. You know, I'm fortunate that the, the internal burning didn't go away, even right. though, you know, the fears exist of stepping out there and exposing yourself to, you know, your, your mistakes and, and the things, you know, that, uh, you know, you're not terribly proud of. Um, but I knew I wanted to, so, you know, it, the, the hockey community's small and, you know, there, the, I had friends that I had, you know, played with and, and grown up with and competed against that had, you know, ended up in Lakeville and, and, you know, thought I'd be a decent candidate for the job. So, um, that's his, you know, a little hint of validation that they even think you should interview, Um, trust me, it took me a number of times before I hit the send button on the old online resume resume or application. Um, you know, because I kind of knew, you know, that, that there'd be questions and, and, uh, um, I wasn't exactly sure I wanted to, to, to go through all, all of that again, but, um, you know, I did it and, and, uh, fortunately, you know, I was, I was apparently good enough in the interview process to earn the job. So you earn the job and, and w- <laughs> let's be honest, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, uh, all beautiful when you, when you got there. I mean, it was a tough spot. I mean, Lakeville North hockey was like, it was still wasn't a strong South was, was, was the dominant team at that time. What did you do to build a culture early on there at Lakeville North? Well, one of the things you learn, like, first of all, I replaced a guy that had been there, you know, 20, 20 years, I believe Randy Schmitz had been there, great human being. And, um, you know, I've, I've only met him on one occasion, but, uh, you know, you step into a situation where regardless of your vision for the program, you know, every time you share your vision, you know, it, it can be taken as, you know, well, you're sliding the guy that was here for 20 right, years. Right, 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 right. That's not your intention in any way, but uh, the realities of sports is it's easy to look at win-loss records, and that's how people, you know, even though they preach at nauseum that, you know, they want a great experience for their kid, they don't care about winning or losing, uh, that's really the truth, you know. I mean, in life, uh, I think that success and failure gives you great feedback. So it's easy in sports, right? You, you drop the puck, and an hour later, you either win or you lose, and you can you can learn lessons from either of those outcomes. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I had an idea um, after going, you know, through 
guys like Scotty Owens and what he wanted to do in Madison, and then obviously a, a huge lesson in what George Gwazdecki wanted to do at Miami um, in what I wanted to accomplish with the program. And, you know, the the, the fundamental building blocks had, had, you know, like how many good players you had, that was like 10 things down the list of what we right. had to do before we were going to be, you know, considered a, a legitimate uh, high school hockey program in terms of, you know, wins and losses and, and developing players and, and developing a culture where it's 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 fun to be at the rank for fans and all those things. So um, it was way more about, you know, how do we develop a culture than it was about, um, you know, who's my left wing on the second line. So you're a new coach in a budding uh, suburb, like the, the coach at Rogers or St. Michael or something. What did, And you were there. I mean, it was a budding suburb. Lakeville was at the time. What advice would you give to a, a coach like that, you know, where, where there's a lot of kids coming up now and there's going to be a big program like, like Lakeville had and still does have. Uh, what advice would you give to a, a guy like that when you're building a program? Well, I mean – because yeah, obviously you had success. I mean, it, so what? What? What were some of the secrets to that success at a pub for a public high school? Well, I think you gotta for sure you gotta humble yourself and figure out you know who who are your mentors in the game. Like who do you want to learn from? Who do you who do you respect and appreciate for what they've been able to accomplish? Um, and, and and why? Like why do you respect them? Yeah. Uh, and you know Mike Randolph was a big you know he's he still is you know he's a guy that I text with. He's He's my favorite high school coach, you know. And, One of mine, and, too. And, I wouldn't tell him that, though. No. And and he's just a guy that, uh, you know, I made inquiries to. I, I asked questions. I listened. Um, and and those those that feedback, you know, kind of helped, you know, in some circumstances validate the course I was on. And in other circumstances, it, it, it gave me, you know, a reason to pause and think about, you know, how I wanted to do this. Um so, you know, my advice is, A, you know, see, I mean, seek mentorship. I mean, experience is invaluable. And and then, you know, I think that, you know, when you go into, an uh, you know, something like high school hockey in Minnesota is a big deal. I always tell people I don't make the rules. I play by them. It's a big deal. And yeah. it's, 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 a, it's in the fabric of the state and our society and everything. So, you know, make sure you're, you're, you're doing it for the right reasons um, because you'll come to find out that, you know, if your only reason is to, to turn around a program and become a winning program, um, you'll, you'll be disappointed. You'll, you will, because eventually only, you're you, not going to win. Eventually you're not going to win. And, and it, it won't serve to, to, to give you that, that, you know, emotional vibe that you're jonesing for. Um, because at, at some point you're, you're not going to be successful. And so, um, you better be sure that it, it's something that you want to do because it, it comes with a lot of challenges. Well, after a few years, I mean, because at that, I mean, like we talked about Lakeville North was kind of the the second team in, in Lakeville. Eventually, you turned the corner and, and, and became very very successful. And and the, the the year before you won state, it was really where people started to take notice. You know, oddly enough, when you lost in the finals, uh, uh, and that's where you really started to make make hay what was it what was what was the key to success to turning the corner well you know I mean I've said that you know I'd always take a a 
a good horse over a good jockey. I mean, you have to have you have to have talent. I mean, there's a certain default factor that if you don't have talent, I don't care how good of coach you are. So, you know, we we were fortunate that that um, you know, kind of the 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 way it operated when I got to Lakeville, I, you know, I had a chance to sit down with Mr. Lindgren and, and Charlie had just left early and Andrew had, had made a decision to go to Egan. Um, and, and Ryan was, you know, lights out and pursuing. he was never going to. Yeah. Play. And so, you know, um, you know, Brady Shea was gone and, um, I'm looking around at what's not here and I just, I wanted to find out why, you know, and, and the reality was, is, um, with hockey being as competitive as it is, most of the high-end kids at that time, the Schraders of the world, Jordan Schrader and and the Crandalls, they had they had gone to St. Thomas, and, right. and so um, you know, I, and I don't begrudge them that, right? I mean, you if you're passionate about something and you want to be good at it, you know, you 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 naturally migrate to situations where you can continue to be successful, and so you know, we I needed to get, I just needed to get, you know people and families and hockey families in the community to believe that at some point we could be good, you know, and part of that is, you know, how you sell your vision for the program, you know, and, and at the same time, you need some, you need some luck. You need to come across some people that, that want to win right where they're at. They want to be successful right where they're at. And, and, you know, I was fortunate to come across some of those families that, that wanted to do things the right way. They were willing to put in the extra time and work to do it. And, and at the same time, they they wanted to be successful right where they lived and went to school. Well, I mean, the, you got to start right with the, with the twins, right? I mean, that's that's when you start right there with Jack and Nick. How does that help when you have the Paling twins in your backyard? They got this little brother too who isn't bad. That's a pretty good building block, right? And you knew they were coming. Uh, did you try to build around those guys? Yeah, I mean, you know. I, enough people that would listen to a podcast like this have have either watched or heard or, or you know of the of them. So the hockey part I'll leave aside, but the, the you know the critical part was that their 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 level of compete was just I mean it was outrageous. Um, and so you know they 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 had the ability to um, in a way attract you know players like themselves to want to be around them because you know, they just competed so hard and, um, you know, they had a little John McEnroe in them for sure. Yeah. So, so yeah, they were, they're just a, they were just a cornerstone, you know, and, and what happened is, you know, other really competitive kids like a Jack Sadick, Jack McNeil, Angelo Altavilla, Max Johnson, Taylor Schneider, you know, Ryan Paling, you know, Ryan Edquist, you know, they're, they, they, like I said, they're, they're drawn to kids like that. I think one of the key components, obviously your assistant coach for, for many years was Jake Annabeck. Jake has a son, Henry, who's who's coming up. He's a Lakeville South kid, and now he's got a decision where to enroll. Is he going to go stay with his buddies at South, Austin Pratt and all those guys, or is he going to come over to, to North? And I think when he came over to North, I always joke with Jake. Jake had two jackets. Remember he had, he had yeah. his Lakeville North <laughs> jacket and his Lakeville South jacket for his other kids because yeah. they were playing with South, and he had to put his jacket on for each one of them. And I think that's a big part of it. You know, you put 
put in the palings, and you got and yet Henry Annabeck, who came in as a freshman, and Ryan came in as a freshman. I mean, this was the building blocks for something pretty special. And then that's where that's how you get to 2014. But you were often criticized if you go to the message boards and you you know around the rank. Oh, he's recruiting. How do you how do you uh, address the the recruiting tag that you got slapped on you? And I think part of it is because you're an outgoing. I'll admit it, good-looking guy, well-dressed. You appear to be the ultimate salesman, <laughs> right? I, pre- I appreciate that. Um, and the fact is that's not really the that's case. That's the only part of this podcast I want my wife to hear. <laughs> you appear to be. You appear to be good-looking. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, and, and again, I, I think that, that at the stage, you know, I'm in in life, like I said, you know, that, that I don't think that we all – appreciate and love the truth you know if you go to the doctor and he says you're 40 pounds overweight you need to lose weight yeah i mean no what does he know yeah what does he know yeah yeah he but the the reality is if you take the emotion out of this um you you know it's 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 really um it's it's logical to see what transpires i mean these kids now they play together in the off season they have tons of success, whether it's with the machine or the blades or the blue army or whoever, right? Yep. And so they know each other and people act like they don't know each other. Like, why would he go there or why would, right? And, you know, if they, if they've, since six years old, they've been competing at a high level and competing against good competition and winning tournaments, that's what they know. And so that's what they're in pursuit of. So it's, it's not, it's you know it's not a big stretch for people to understand why kids go seek that out. I mean, they want to be in a competitive environment. And they want to have success, and we all do it in life. Whether I mean, it's a restaurant not. we choose or whatever, we go to places for a reason. And so, um, you know that that it's fine. You know, I mean, I understand that the the tag exists, and and you know. Um, you know, you call me outgoing in my DNA. I'm, I'm fairly introverted. You know, I, right. I, I love to talk, but it's on the subjects I love to talk about. Um, and other than that, I like to run and read and do those things. So, uh, you know, I've been told by my wife that I, you know, you can appear standoffish. Well, I just, I don't always have a lot to say, you know, and I, and when you are as passionate about hockey and competitive, you know, that, leads people to believe all you care about is winning and you recruit all your players and all this other stuff. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I tell people all the time, if you're going to get an evaluation of a coach, get it from his players, you know, and you know, you don't have to get it from his best player and you don't have to get it from the fourth liner. Who's mad. Just get it from some of his players that have played for him. So I, I, I understand the tag, but, you know, it's not, uh, you know, Ryan Edquist doesn't navigate his way back from Shattuck to Lakeville North. If we're not good. That's just reality. Yeah. It's funny, you know, and I'd love to get your comment on this, because Lakeville South people were probably your biggest critic, right, at the time. I mean, probably other critics, too. But I think the funniest critic now is this Lakeville South. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. They're they're the they're bringing in the players that you were bringing in from, from Farmington and Northfield and these types of things. What do you have to say about that now that it's the shoe is on the other foot, but no one seems to be complaining that Yanni, Yanni for some reason doesn't get this recruiting tag put next to him. Is that, is it a persona? What is that you think? You know, um, I should probably give it the no comment. I don't have a <laughs> negative comment, right? Because, you know. But it is you, a fact. You're not disagreeing yeah. with no, me, right? No, right? no, no, no. I had a son that played you know, Bantams at Lakeville North this year. And, and so I got to see, 
you know, the South Bantam team, and, and it doesn't take a genius to figure out that, you know, there's more than a handful of kids that aren't from there. But, you know, open enrollment exists. It's 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 not illegal. It's 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 uh, it's something you can do. And and, you know, when when there's driving forces that want to be good and want to be competitive, then those things go on. So, I, again, I don't begrudge anyone trying to 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 better their situation. Um, you know, at times, you know, you want to pause to question like the like what what is the end in mind to to what to what you're doing right um and and so you know i mean i've i've reflected on that a little bit over the years um in in you know a higher percentage of my players by a million will will be you know the kids that that maybe play some college hockey you know the the Ryan Palings and Jake Ottgers those those aren't going to come across your bench all the time. Um, so You're lucky you can get a pair like the the Paling Twins, right? That's what you. That's that's really lucky. Yeah, yeah. And I, like I said, I, I'm not. I, I'm. I don't apologize for the direction of you know the programs I run. I, I mean, I, I think that that you know what what I'm striving for is to teach excellence and that kids are committed and I, and I, I, I would like to think if my passion were the piano, I would do the same. And, right. and so, um, I, I, I don't, you know, average is the, a word that, that I don't aspire to be, you know, or, or live that way. So, you know, if you're going to pursue something, then why not be really good at it and, and, and pay attention and care and work hard at it. All right, so let's walk through the the end of the season uh, in fourteen. Ottinger was the goalie that year. What a great season he had, by the way. But you guys lose handily to Edina. At that point, did you know that you guys obviously you guys knew you had everyone coming back for for fifteen? Um, what point in that season, either preseason or during that season, did you know? Hey, we might go thirty one and zero. Well, I, <laughs> right. I knew that that championship game against Edina was probably the two of the most painful hours to spend on live TV, standing behind a bench, um, just getting drummed. But uh, you know, we we had strung together, I think, nineteen or twenty wins at the end of that season, and obviously, you know, some kids had come into their own. Um, so when we went into the off season. Um, when you're fortunate enough to have a core like, you know, a McNeely, Sadik, Alta Villa, the name's going on, come on. You, 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 you know, he's you probably wanna... the best athlete out of that group of defensemen. Yeah, just phenomenal kid, phenomenal athlete. But, uh, you know, as a coach, my only goal was to not, you know, kind of undersell our expectations, you know, like what was going to drive us um, through the off season and into the next season. And so, you know, the discussion about, about winning every game is something that we had in our first off-season meeting. At least I did with our captains, and it wasn't um, it wasn't you know based at all on anything other than than you know a desire to to be excellent. And so I I presented it to them you know because in, in this way you know we, we were going to be a we were the we were the off-season number one predicted team, you know. And, and so I just laid it out to them in terms of, you know, if you're the number one ranked team in the state, that, that, that means that everyone believes you're the best team. So that means in your first matchup, you should be the favorite. And, and that means that if the favorite plays 
to the best of their ability, then a high percentage of time they're going to win the game. And that means in game two, you're still the favorite. Yep. And so, you know, you could replicate that theory over and over and over again. Um, So I just wanted them to embrace the idea that um, if people – if people truly believe that you're the best team in the state, then 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 let's try and prove that not over the course of a season. Let's try and prove it in the off season, and then let's try and prove it in the summer scrimmages, and then let's try and prove it in the preseason, and let's prove it game one, game two, on and on and on and on. And I was fortunate enough to have a really mature group of kids that could – could kind of keep that thing in check as we made our way through that season. Um, that year you played Edina, um, kind of the old rematch over at Ames. I think you could have probably sold 30,000 tickets for that one. What are your memories of that game? I just think that thing, that was a complete validation of why kids have a desire to play high school hockey in Minnesota. You know, yeah. um, it's one of those special regular season games. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it was, you know, it was, a, it was, you know, for many reasons, people, you know, obviously the four deep on the glass and community hockey and, and, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a city arena, um, I can remember in my coach's room, just by the nature of who ended up, you know, representing Ryan Paling down the road. But I, I had Steve Rich in there, you know, who's Mario Lemieux's agent, probably five college coaches. And we were just having a blast, you know, having a, having a great, you know, old time hockey conversation and you could just feel the buzz in the rink and, and uh, you know, so that part of it is, is really cool. And obviously you don't play hockey growing up through Minnesota and not have friends from Edina and friends from Bloomington. And so, you know, this thing had, had all the, all the makings of just a, a classic matchup. Yeah, it was a fun one, that's for sure. That's one of the few games that I got to that year, and I got there very, very early because I knew it was going to be a hard ticket. Um, so you move into the state tournament, and really you're not really pushed that hard. What was the one game where you kind of look back like, ooh, we were in trouble? You know, I, I, I honestly believe I, in, I think we, we play Eden Prairie in the semifinal there, um, and I, I want to say we're tied after two. Uh, I felt like they got the best of us in the second period. Um, and that's probably, you know, I don't want to say the only time. I mean, we'd been in some situations in the season where we didn't play well, obviously. But, uh, you know, if there, if there was ever, you know, where I looked at our group and, and you know, they acknowledged that someone was kind of giving it to us a little bit for the better part of maybe 10 minutes there, that was probably the time. Um and obviously the response in the third was huge. I think we win by four goals or three goals. Um, but, you know, that was that was kind of a critical point, that intermission between the second and third in the semifinal game. Um, because you've heard at nauseum, if you're going through something like that, they're going to lose one game. They're yep. going to lose, they're going to lose, they're going to lose. Um, and you're dealing with 16, 17, 18-year-old kids. They're young kids. They're reading it and seeing it. Yeah, constantly, constantly, constantly. So the way they responded in the third was awesome. And, uh, you know, I felt, you know, that was kind of a, you know, there was a huge, just a, just a sigh of relief when we, when we played the way we did in the third. Um, obviously left us feeling really confident on what would happen on that Saturday night. So you win the you win the state title after that. It's just kind of a magical moment for you. I mean, because now, I mean, I, I talk about these, these 10 years of your life from, from, from Lakeville North 
starting in Lakeville North, and there's a lot of transfiguration in your life. I mean, this is kind of one of those well, those one shining moments for you in this last 10 years is, is that game. Uh, did you have any relief? Did you have any elation? It was a big day for you um, winning that state title. Yeah, and I don't know if it's relief. I mean, I, you're you're just you're you're extremely excited because you know you you set a goal, you navigated a course to that goal, and then you achieved it. Um, and one of the greatest things is you get to share it with, you know, your, your coaching staff and your community and 20 young kids who'll never forget it. Um, and, and that's a group that you know the the, the text will never end as long as we're right. all alive. And so, um, you know, it's one of those things where, you know they can't take it away from you. You know, they just, they can't take it away from you. So it, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to explain to people that, you know, if you're not in that situation, but when, when you get there and you actually close the deal, it's, it's a, it's a neat thing. I mean, uh, coach Satterdown has accomplished this and you have accomplished this, but not many have accomplished the, the undefeated season. Um, Walk through, have you talked to Sats about that? Because I know, I know you respect him dearly. Uh, have you talked about comparing the two teams? Have you talked to anyone else about comparing the two teams? Has the topic ever come up comparing that, that 93 team to this team? Yeah, I mean, I get asked the question. I, 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 it's not a fair for me to reference it, you know, because I'm not, I'm not as, you know, intimately familiar with his group, you right. know. Um, I guess, you know, kind of in a maybe a humorous way, Um you know, I always say our group won 31 games. I mean, I guess that, that makes us the best team ever. I, I, I mean, is 31 better than 28? I guess it is, you know. So, right. um, but uh, again, I love you know, it. Now the ratings for the show just went yeah, through the roof. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. And, 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 and I'm all for that. You know, I mean, every, you know, sports need the Dallas Cowboys, you know, because yeah. not everyone loves them. Uh, you know, high school hockey needs Edina. High school hockey needs a villain. High school hockey needs yes. a Prairie team that's stacked. I mean, that's what this sport is, a, is what makes it so special is you're passionate about it. If it was just, you know, ho-hum, we wouldn't be having this podcast and people wouldn't be listening. And, and so um, I, I love that part of it for sure. It's funny, this year's St. Thomas team, well, good good segue here wasn't the villain and they usually are the villain right you were kind of like everybody's darling at the state tournament this year you you know it wasn't st thomas's best season but you put together a great late run in the, in the regular season everyone forgets that kind of got a really screwy seed i mean I think you got like a four or a five seed maybe were you a road team five seed five seed right <laughs> you win three games in pretty convincing fashion i granted the championship game was was one or two goals, but I never got the sense after you got the lead that you weren't going to win the game against Burnsville. And then you beat Andover, the number one team in the States, the number one seed in the tournament, and then gave uh, Hill Murray all they could handle. So walk through this season versus seasons past of being the, the favorite or the villain, as you might say. Yeah, it's fun. I, after, the, after the season ended this year, Nico, my assistant coach, told me, he's like, that's your best coaching ever. And, you know, I mean, I stopped to think about it, you know, and, and uh, it's a valid point, you know, because we had some, we had some mid-season adversity. I think, uh, you know, in a good way, I probably have, you know, the Vanelli boys to thank for the five seed. They'd probably been the one seed eight years in a row. So <laughs> yes. the minute we had, you know, some chinks in our armor, people were probably drooling to, to, to stick it to St. Thomas a little bit. So, um, 
And you did have some chinks. You lost to, to Eastview. So you, you could have made a case for five, but everybody deep down knew that that was, like you said, eight years in the making, right? Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I walked into the meeting feeling like we were a three at the worst. Just Right. You know, and it had nothing to do with me personally, but that's where the computer had us. That's, right. where, that's where the coaches poll had us. Um, I never thought we were a five, and, and I wouldn't have been surprised if we weren't a two, but, you know, I kind of thought we were two or three-ish. But, um, you know... That those that's good bulletin board material. It, it's just you know we kind of adopted the old you know own the five seed motto and and um, our kids had for the better part of the second half of the season uh, really begun to understand what we were trying to accomplish as a group and I think we became a group through the first half adversity. So again, another case where you know if you're willing to acknowledge your your suffering in life it can be valuable feedback and in in hockey terms we had some struggles early in the season that that were critical for our success in the second half i'm sure you don't have it to the date but what was the date roughly uh that you guys committed to to go into the two three because by the end of the year it was like the gospel for your team i mean you, you could not look and there be jackson hallam basically had a cone you could put a cone out there jackson go stand right here and he never left i mean your centers never left the top of that of the blue line at what point of the season was it december 1st december 15th january 1st january 15th what, what point did you guys commit to roughly to that system yeah and I don't know the date I think it's probably the post you know we lost to Hastings at home I was gonna say that would handily. be a downfall this yeah season, so right? so it was you know it had to be somewhere around there there was a there was a, I think a two-game stretch we get beat by Matamidi on the road then we lose to Hastings at home um again now in hindsight the Matamidi loss isn't as bad is it <laughs> well no no it's <laughs> right? not it's not as bad no but uh you know you go into that game and again you know historically people view matchups regardless of what's happening in that season as that matchup. And right. if, if one team has had success for 15 straight years, you know, that's kind of what they think is going to happen. Um, but I think it's a probably it's honor around that time, you know, that, that we make that decision. And, and it's, it's not easy. No, no. Especially it's, a lot of these kids that you're recruiting or bringing in to St. Thomas, these are high-flying superstars that aren't used to checking their ego at the door and standing at the blue line, correct? Well, you said that, not me. I mean, you know, they, they've had highly talented players that like to score goals historically, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, score, no. scoring in hockey is valuable. But, um, you know, the, the, we just the, – the roster didn't support that style of play for us. Um, and ironically, you know, in my Lakeville North days, you know, those best teams, people, you know, I had one guy call it, you know, like structured shinny hockey because we, we, we had the puck the whole game and, and we were very creative and, and the roster supported that. Yes. So, you know, um, again, you know, I, I, I've, I've been kind of interested in the 2-3 for, for different reasons over the years. You know, I've seen Mike Randolph use it very effectively. Um, but for us, you know, my initial, the reason that I talked about it with my coaching staff and, and we decided to go that route was I thought we, the concept of spacing in the offensive zone, we didn't get. We, we weren't producing offense out of zone time. And, and I thought it was because we, we didn't understand the concept of spacing. And so, you know, by, by assigning players a spot on the ice to be, we were going to we were going to take the decision-making out of it in terms of the spacing. And, you know, the reality is it's, it, you can create a lot of offense from it. It's very tough to defend. Um, 
but if you execute it poorly, it, it's all for naught. So, you know, we knew it was going to be a challenge to get not only to play that way, but to play it effectively. Um, but, you know, we were committed to that, um, not so much because we had nothing to lose, but I think we needed to, we really needed to conceptually learn that, you know, spacing is so critical to creating offense. And, and this, this, this allowed us, you know, to think about the game a little bit differently in terms of, you know, all we were going to do is, is flip our offense upside down. And, right. and, you know, the kids, they naturally fight it. They feel like you're playing a trap. They feel like they're playing defensively. And in reality, you're not. You're just, it's like if we talked about it like, you know, basketball, you know, we're just, we're changing the way we want to create offense. We're going to go from, you know, low to high, and that's where our three guys will be rather than our three high guys below the, right. you know, the tops of the circles. And so um, it, it ended up being, you know, fortunately we got some validation with it, which, you know, which came in terms of some success, some some big wins, and that helps kids buy in. Um, yeah. If you don't have that success, maybe it's a different story. So we, we became really, you know, not only effective at executing it, but our kids were really bought in because, of, like I said, that validation. So if you only want to hear about Trent Eigner and hockey and hockey coaching, you could turn the podcast off now but if you're interested in hearing more about Trent and how he's had we talk about this transformational 10 years in your life it's a pretty amazing story uh keep listening because I think you're going to learn a lot about a man who's gone from had some difficulties in fact you described yourself as a douchebag and and what you've and, and and how people have viewed you and how you've changed your life and it's a pretty uh pretty cool story and I want to walk into a little bit of that um it's so self-reflection and uh, being a man of faith and having six children and being strong Catholic. Uh, walk through a little bit about who that part of Trent is and since 2010. Yeah, I, I laugh at that word. I, it, it was your word. Yeah, I love it. It's yeah, great. Yeah. It's, it's I didn't so know you were going to throw it in the podcast. But, oh, it's perfect but, though, right? You know, uh, Actually, yeah, it, it it's a it's a front to no one, right? No d bag is a d bag. I I use the term because I just think it was apropos for, you know, kind of being average in life. You know, average as a father, average as probably a husband, um, and, and you know, without trying to beat myself up too much, that self reflection, you know, that that you go through if it's like the car wash and the speedo, yeah, you know, it it stings a little bit. It stings, and and you start to. You know, I talked about the word average. You start to view yourself in terms of average. And, you know, I actually went through the practice of, of looking at how much time the average man spends with his children, 37 minutes a day. Wow. And, and you know, physically I, I had, you know, I weighed 222 pounds. I played college hockey at 186. Um, you know, you know, I, I, I put myself through the practice and, and I go through this with guys that I kind of coach and mentor to this day called the life ledger. And, you know, a ledger is basically balancing the books. And so if, if time is the most valuable commodity we all have, you know, I needed to look at where my time was spent. And, uh, I think the default answer for me as a man and a lot of people is, you know, what's most important to you, Trent? Oh, faith, family, and education. Right. Well, it, it, that wasn't true, right? Because when I looked at where I was spending my time, I wasn't in church every day. I wasn't in church every Sunday. So, so you know, I was lying to myself when I said that. Um, you know, family next. I had six kids, and I was working long hours and, and, and chasing, you know, kind of what seemed to be 
you know, very selfish goals. And, and so that was a lie, you know? And so as I went down that, a lot that, of lies, that, that right? ledger, there was, you know, I was bankrupt in a lot of those accounts. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I, I'm grateful that that's what I'm talking about, the suffering. That's why, you know, I read a Vic Frankel book, you know, every day or parts of it, because, you know, we all have these opportunities in life, you know, and here's a guy that survived four concentration camps with a great attitude and hope and, and creating situations for himself mentally where he could be successful. Um, and I, I'm just enamored with that part of life. And so, um, that, that's where I kind of came up with that, that, that D-bag term, you know, and, and, and comparing myself like a, a, as a coach and as a human and as a father and as a husband, um, you know, I didn't want to be average because I kind of thought I was. And so, you know, there was a path to, to being excellent in those areas of life, uh, but it's not an easy path. You know, the transformation isn't easy. Some of the things that I did um, you referred to the push-ups uh, in the marathons. Um, you know, the people closest to you, we talked about this, they doubt you're going to accomplish that, right? And, yeah, and the people farthest away will probably believe it. Oh, yeah, you'll run a marathon. Sure. And then the people closest are like, sure, sure, sure you will, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and the natural reaction to that that eye-rolling or, or that doubt that, that uh, your wife gives you or the people closest to you is that you're you're, you're angry. You want them to support you. Um, but there, you know, you, you come to realize as you get a little wisdom that you actually taught them to behave that way. Cause they've, they've, they've heard you say you're going to lose this weight for 10 times. They've heard you say you're going to do all these great things and you've never done it. So, you know, you, you actually taught the class. They got a, they, yeah. they, they actually listened. They got a master's degree in, in all your BS. And, you know, I was, I was the one that was feeding the BS. So, um, it's just like I said. It's been it's been awesome. It's been a great journey. It's been um, it's been tough, but uh, like I said, it's it's uh, it's something that I value. What about the push-ups? Let's talk about how many push-ups. Because Scott Bell and I are Berg buddies, and you're buddies with Scotty. Yeah. We we always try to we get the calculator out and try to calculate how many push-ups you've done. You claim a million, or a million is the goal, or how do you get to a million push-ups? No, I got I got to the I got to the million, and you did get it, to the it million. Was, it was. You know, we don't have long enough on this podcast to, to explain how you get to a place in life where you come up with a goal like that. But, um, you know, when you're juggling six kids and, and, and a business and, and it's not as rosy as people see and, and it wasn't for me at all. And, and so you're navigating some real world issues. Um, and suffice it to say, in, in a sports term, you know, life is kicking your ASS. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I was I was there. I was that guy. So, um you know, when you don't have a ton of money and you don't have a lot of time, you got to figure a way out of the hole. And so, you know, for me, I, I just, I don't know how I came up with it. I don't know why I came up with it. I, I probably, I didn't even initially tell my wife that it was a goal. I just, I knew that, you know, how, I wonder how long it'd take me to do a million push-ups. you know? And so, um, I, I set my goal at four years, which is 687 push-ups a day. Um, to get there. And the reason I did is because I didn't have, probably didn't have the money at the time to have a gym membership. I didn't have the time, you know, so all you need to do a push up is you and the floor, That's right. right? So, um, 600, 687 is, that was my goal number for a day because I can see a hundred that would, I can, I can, yeah. visual, I can visualize a hundred, 600 is that insane. would get you, that would get you that, that would get me over the mark 
you know, but I also knew that in the beginning I was going to be deficit spending, meaning I, right. I knew I couldn't get there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it's amazing. The body is so resilient, and I was fortunate that I was, you know, I was an athlete growing up and a college athlete, so I knew what it was like to work hard and train. You know, I had just forgotten for the better part of eight years. And, and so um, as you get back into it, you know, it, it evolves into more than that, you know. Um, oh, yeah. So – you know, I can remember my grease board like a coach down in my little dungeon keeping down in my track. basement, keeping track. And, and uh, I realized early on that as I was doing them, you know, your mind gets to thinking uh, you lose track. So I had to keep a grease board, you know, and yep. sets of sets of 25 check mark, sets of 25 check mark. And, and I figured out variations of the ways to do them most efficiently and how they worked and how I could do it. And this was just something that I held near and dear to myself. And it kept me grounded in something very simple. Um, but, uh, it evolved into, to my rest time was reading and, and reading a, James Allen book and it's only 20, 24 pages and it's the best book other than the Bible that's ever been written. Um, and What's I read it, it all the time. Okay. Uh, James Allen is a, a, a man's search for meaning and uh, it's, I don't know, a hundred year old book, but uh, you know, the, the premise of the book is kind of like what we talked about. The body is a servant of the mind, meaning, you know, you, if you're, if you're not, if sending good messages to your, to yourself your chances of success are really low. And, right. And uh, kind of like the, the, the concentration camp guy. I mean, that guy felt, figured out how to have a great attitude while being pr- imprisoned. Unbelievable. Yeah. He's you know, and, and so staggering that's individual. why, you know, people who know me now, if I, I tell them, you should get you some Vic in the morning, you know, short for Victor Frankel. Um, yeah. Because it's it's great perspective you know and and if you can stay present in your life i mean think about the perspective i mean we're talking about things like uh you know quarantining right like that's the worst thing in the world that we've ever gone through and and then if you want to think about four concentration camps all of a sudden um you know uh stay staying at home for 8 weeks isn't such a big deal anymore no. and and all the things you know uh you know, shortfalls in money or, you know, the, the neighbor's dog took a dump on your yard. They, they become irrelevant because you start to think about what this guy had to go through. Um, it's powerful stuff. So those are the kinds of things that I started to read. And, and, um, I learned that, that, you know, it, it wasn't, it was my mind that was the one that was driving the bus, not the body. I wasn't old and fat and, you know, but I thought I was, and I wasn't, you know, worthless and down in the dumps. It's, I thought I was. And so, um, it's just, like I said, I, it, it was a great, it was, it was something I knew I could afford to do. I knew it, you know, the commitment would take four years so that I felt like that was enough time to ingrain some really good habits again. Yep. Um, and it, it, it it's, it was so simple for a, uh, you know, average IQ like my guy like myself you can't screw it up right right do the push-ups count them and keep going and so it it, it led like I said to one marathon and then a second one last year um, now you're trying to get to Boston yeah yeah because the first marathon was just a, like I said it was another thing you know it was another th- just a discipline the training part was a discipline all I wanted to do was finish it took me four hours and 27 minutes of it was miserable well then the next year I felt good about it and last year I ran a 333 
So not, you knocked an hour off your time? Yeah, not knowing. That's I, impressive. I, I apparently missed qualifying for Boston by eight minutes. So, you know, this year was Now you be, seem pretty focused. Yeah, yeah. I think I can get there. Um, actually, I know I can get there. I mean, it, it is like life. I mean, the training regimen is there. Do the work, and you'll get the result. Um, but, uh, yeah, so now I'm going to have to – I'm filling myself with some other crazy stuff since there's no races going on right now. But, uh, yeah, that was a great – Great journey. Six kids and a great Dane and a wife. How do you keep it all straight? And now your father, who we talked about way, way early in this podcast, is now living with you under your roof. How do you keep that? How do you keep all those balls in the air? It's a, a lot. Yeah, it's tough. And the one the one with my father, you know, you and I talked a little bit about it. Um, that one, you know, he's got early stages of Alzheimer's. He's lived with me for a year now. He, he lived in Milwaukee. Um, you know, that, that relationship in and of itself has just been, uh, it's been a difficult one to navigate. So the fact that he's under my roof now, um, having not been the greatest dad, uh, I think is a, is a wonderful thing for my kids to see every day. Um, they, they, they can definitely understand, you know, forgiveness. Um, but, uh, you know, my wife and I, we call it varying degrees of chaos, right? Like if you have three <laughs> kids, it's chaotic. So four is a little more, six is a little more, throw in your dad, it's a little more, you know, um, my view on life has changed a bunch. So I, you know, I'm actually appreciative, regardless of the level of relationship I have with my father, that we do get to see each other um, and, and spend some time together. So yeah, it is, it's, it's chaotic, but uh you know, it, I guess it's how you look at it. For me, it's just fuel. It's a, it's a, you know, when you're almost 50 and you have a second grader. Um, you that's know, your daughter, right? That's my daughter. The first yeah. five were boys. The pursuit of a daughter was expensive. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, uh, it provides, you know, a lot of reasons to take care of yourself and, and, you know, be physically, spiritually, you know, be, be, at, be at your best. Well, you're equipped. Let's talk a little bit about your squad. I, I promised we wouldn't talk about hockey anymore, but I, I forgot to bring it up. I'd like to just talk about St. Thomas, the vision that you have. You had your first year. This was, like I said, this a lot of Anelli players. Now you're getting a chance to get your own players into the building, your own chance to coach them, but you haven't had much contact with them because of the COVID, but walk through if, if, if we're back to normal, uh, what you think St. Thomas will look like next year. Obviously Jackson Helms supposedly coming back uh, one of the best, he'll be one of the best high school hockey players next year and Tyler Graham. And, um, it's a, it's a really nice group of players that you have at St. Thomas. What do you, what are you looking forward to next year? Yeah. Well, the first thing is, you know, I just, I, I mean, you asked the question. I mean, just, just the experience of being at St. Thomas Academy, it's just been it's been a special one for me. I mean, obviously, you, I mean, you've been pigeonholed before. I think you've probably taken a few shots on oh, some yeah. message boards. You know, I know I have. Um, you know, and, and I think people view my decision as just another way to win a bunch of hockey games. But, you know, as a 50-year-old Catholic guy with five sons, you know, what a, what a place to be yeah. um, and have your children around. And so... That part for me is equally as, as exciting as, you know, the hockey part because it is a special place. So um, I'm grateful for, for that opportunity. And then, you know, to, to it's, it's, it, there's never, you know, situationally to replace the Vanellis. There's, there's no really good way to do that. Right. right? Like they, they, they built the program. Yes. And, and so, you know, you, you talk about 
a legacy of 15 or 16 years and six state championships or whatever it is, um, you know, there's kind of no good way to, to navigate that, right? Yeah. The expectations are that you, you at least maintain that level of success. Yes. Um, at the same time, you know, uh, you, you just, so many of the people that know St. Thomas and St. Thomas hockey and are passionate about it, all they know is what those guys created, you know? So, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's tricky, you know? And, and so I'm fortunate that, uh, you know, I have Greg in the, in the school. Yep. Um, and, and so there's, there's still that connection to all the history. Um, I've got, you know, Mono still around the program. So it was like, he's like the flag bearer for the program. Yeah. Isn't yeah, he? yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I tell people it's really, it's, you know, there are, there are institutions that exist, um, and, and part of their history is based on their longevity. And when you're talking about a school that's over a hundred years old, you just naturally have that type of tradition. And and so I don't want to say because I'm at St. Thomas, it's like Notre Dame or it's like this, but you know, it that, is, a that, little bit of it is. that longevity gives it, you know, just a spider web that goes out so many places that it's, you know, it's unavoidable to, to talk about, that, that tradition. And so, you know, when, when I say, I don't mean it as an affront that people don't understand why it's so special. I actually mean that you would have to experience some of it to know why it's so special. And that's, you know, I'm in the learning phase of that. You know, when you walk in there and you meet an alumnus who's 80 years old and, you know, he wants to know if the hockey program's in good hands, you know, you're like, wow. I mean, you know, you, you just, I, I, I hadn't experienced that type of, you know, that depth in, in the, the passion for, for that school. So, um, it's been, it's been fun and I'm excited about the kids and, um, you know, what, what we can do to, to continue to build on, on that tradition of excellence there. We talked a little bit about, you talk creative, I call it riverboat gambling. You guys are high flying Lakeville North in your glory days. Do you expect yourself to, your teams to to be more like that, or do you are you gonna are you gonna lock down on this two three thing from a strategic perspective? No, the two three I, that would never be my first choice of of ways to play, and and this is why it's not like I fully recognize the level that I'm at as a coach is in 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 the development phase of a kid, not only in their hockey career but in their life. So, um, you know, a decision to to stagnate you know, the development of your kids by playing a trap just to, to win. win hockey games yeah. um, it w- would never be my first choice. You know, uh, at the same time, you know, you have an obligation to your kids. Um, if they have goals of getting to the state tournament, you have to, you have to help them navigate away there. Right. And so you can't turn a blind eye to that. But the reality is, is, is by playing a trap or, or playing that way, you actually, you're trying to mitigate the learning that needs to happen for kids, meaning, you know, if someone's going to be the third man high every time, how are they going to learn to forecheck? How are they going to learn to take angles? How are they going to learn to pursue pucks effectively? So, no, as we develop our program, you know, my thinking is that it would be very much like we did it at Lakeville North. We'd encourage kids to be very aggressive in the way we play. Um, I usually give them a ton of freedom on their side of the red line. I want them to be creative because that's how they learn. Um, you know, but uh, you also need them to respect, you know, the other end of the ice. And I don't mean just in terms of their assignments, but, you know, mentally, 
you need that buy-in, that it's important to play in that end of the ice, and it's important to, 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 to mentally and physically give the same amount of emotional energy to playing on the defensive side as it is offensively. So, you know, I think kids in, enjoy that. You want to create situations where they can be successful. I, I think that kids are, are far more apt to be successful when they're having fun. And so, you know, we, we, we do want to be really aggressive in the way we play because it, 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 it is a fun way to play. Um, so we'll navigate it kind of the same way. There, I have no reason to believe that, you know, we can't accomplish the things we did at Lakeville North in terms of, of building, you know, a team and a hockey program uh, based on those fundamentals. So as you said, building, you keep saying we, it's the, the, it's the players, but it's just as much your coaching staff. Nico and Jimmy are two, you know, up-and-coming great young hockey coaches. Talk about working with those guys for the first time. And it was, sometimes staff takes a while to kind of adjust. It didn't seem like you guys would just skip a beat and you'd, after just starting out this year coaching together. Yeah, and, and, and you know the thing I'm I'm I feel most fortunate about is that you know I I was at a stage in my coaching career where I felt like I had enough experience to understand that you know the title of head coach it, it's just a title. I mean, when when you go about the business of teaching the game to to kids, it, it's it's equal parts for the three of us. The, you know, it has no bearing on you know our effectiveness if, if people need to understand that I'm the head coach. Right. So, and I think those guys were at a stage where, um, they're really hungry and enthusiastic. And, and I saw a lot of myself in them probably more in Nico, just cause Jimmy's so quiet, but Nico is, he's, he's intense and he's, you know, Jimmy is, I call him the glue for our staff. He's the thinker. He's the, he's the guy that can sit there and assimilate a situation and assess it and then give you productive feedback. Um, so for us, it's, it's been a blast. I mean, um, we, we, we make decisions, uh, together, you know, ultimately, you know, parent issues or something like that, well, they'll land in my lap and, and that's my obligation to them is that their that's job your is... your part to, of the deal, that's, right? That's my part of the deal and it's not their part to have to deal with that. They get to, to show up at the rink and do what they're really good at. Um, but to have guys that, like, love breaking down film, um, that love, love, love it, you know. I mean, I got to take a, a great picture this year that I sent my wife and I don't know if I put it on social media or not, but... Um, we literally were sitting there on the seating call for the state tournament. And, you know, it's kind of a cool moment. It was right. cool for those guys, first time going through it. You know, and you get your matchup, you know, and the, the matchup comes out over the intercom. We got the speakerphone on, and they're not even done doing the matchups. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I'm either writing down the matchups or the seatings and the game times, and I look up, and, and Nico's already on his laptop. He's, he's already pulling up Andover, and he's watching. You know, he's watching as this thing's going on. And I look up, and Jimmy's on his laptop doing the same thing. So they just they, – they, they're they're legitimately really good at what they do. Um, the advantage for me is that, you know, they're not half my age, but they're 30. I'm 50. Yeah. So, so they have this innate blast of energy that, you know – makes me want to as do you feed yeah. off of it right yeah it makes it, it, it you know i tell i told him the other day i text him i said i you know we were talking about how much we, we we were grateful for our coaching staff and i said i i'm just grateful you guys like let the old guy you know be cool hang around you guys you know um 
because we, we do, we, we have a ton of fun. Um, I think we all want it to be a long-term situation where we get to work with great players and, and both those guys, you know, they're, they're, they're the, even outside of coaching at St. Thomas, you know, the, the hockey's just, it's in their DNA and it's what they do. They like watching it. They like evaluating it. They like, they like teaching it, you know, they like talking about it. And so it, 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 in that sense, it's a great relationship because it's, it's a, t- it's a high priority to all of us to, 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 to give our best, you know, to these kids. And, and when we show up at the rink, you know, that, I mean, that's for a guy with six kids, that's valuable me time, you know, yeah. with Nico and Jimmy. And you gotta be, if you gotta be with a couple of guys you really like, or it's not, not good me time, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I've told people, you know, people know, like you can, when I coached at Lakeville North, you can, you can go on the website and see my salary right I mean you don't there's you don't coach high school sports you know to to rub a bunch of dollars together so um I would never do it if it wasn't you know with guys that I love being around because it just wouldn't make sense to go spend you know three four hours a day with guys you don't enjoy even if you were winning I wouldn't I don't think it'd be a good trade-off so you know that's you know that's that's the 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 great part you know the laughs and the time we get in the coach's office and then you know um, I probably shouldn't say this because my wife would be choked but you know very rarely do we get done with practice and unlace our skates and leave right you know there's there's always a good there's there's a bunch of hockey stuff we cover and then there's probably you know more of of just shooting the breeze and and talking hockey well you always talk about the 15 minutes in the locker room. Remember when you have you, mm-hmm. you've had youth hockey players where the kid gets, you know, gets off the ice and the parents are like screaming, like, get out of there, get yeah. out of there. Like, do you realize as a hockey parent, you're, you're, you're diffusing the, some of the best parts of the hockey is the 15 minutes in the locker room afterwards. Yeah. And yeah. you too, as coaches, you know, you guys, you know, they're, they're in the other locker room. You guys are taking off your skates. That 15, 20 minutes is sometime the best 15, 20 minutes of your day. Oh, it it is. And it, like, if you didn't play, you know, like growing up, if you weren't on team sports, maybe you don't have that understanding. But I hear that all the time about, you know, if my kid doesn't get out of that locker room, doesn't he know where I got to be, you know? And, right. and again, it goes back to just maturing in life. Like, you know, it's funny because you obviously made a decision to sign that child up for hockey. And then yeah. you, you're in your seventh year and you're gonna, you're still complaining about his desire to hang around with his buddies. And, eh, you know, I mean... I don't think anybody forced you to, to get into this racket, you know, no, so it's, you it's, might as well enjoy it. It's definitely been funny. We could go on and on uh, and, and talk uh, about hockey uh, and, and life in general. I appreciate your time on the show. Uh, as part of today's show, uh, Coach Eigner will get a gift from the Minnesotan sent to him. Thanks to the Minnesotan again for their sponsorship of the pod. Make sure to stop in and check them out or go online and buy products. Use the code TRADITION for free shipping and handling on for all YHH listeners. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you around the ring soon.